Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome in to another edition of the JMU Sports News Podcast. I am Bennett Conlon. I am joined by Jack Fitzpatrick for probably the busiest spring podcast edition of of our lifetime outside of maybe when they actually played football in the spring, if, if you remember correctly. Um, what about when Signetti was hired? No. No, this feels like a crazier <laughs> week. This does feel a little bit more intense because not only is there football to talk about, basketball is happening like two additions in the transfer portal for men's basketball women's basketball transfer stuff's happening um not only that then there's off the field football stuff happening with a waiver that we've been promised that we still haven't gotten um and then not only that the diamond dukes are still playing and jmu baseball just swept louisiana over the weekend after they took down number one lsu in a midweek and then they blew a lead against ranked virginia tech which would have been Probably the greatest four-game stretch in Marlon Eikenberry's career um, if they had managed to win that game against Virginia Tech. But over under how long I'll be on before my internet kicks me off? Uh, Probably not that long. You already sort of look like a blurred blob to me. But um, Can you hear me? Is everything loud and clear? It's just like you just fuzzied over. Love that. That is awesome. Everything sounds good. We've got the NCAA that's dropping out some nuggets from their board of directors meeting currently. So I don't know if that means we'll potentially get a waiver ruling live, which would be ideal for us. That would be amazing. Um, But but we'll see what happens there. It was not in the first little release that they had had shared. But anyway, just a ton to get through and a lot of Jordan McLeod today, I'm assuming as well. Yeah, of course. I'm going to talk a lot about him. I was I, I tweeted during the Jamie spring, ba- spring game. I'm going to be insufferable about Jordan McLeod. Not only in this podcast, in every podcast leading up to the season opener, and then throughout the season. But before we get into that, you could say he's the betting favorite for uh, the starting starting job. And if you wanted to place that <laughs> bet, you couldn't bet it on Bet Online because I guarantee you they do not have <laughs> markets open. <laughs> but. <laughs> Other than that one market, Bet Online is your source for all of your basketball info, stats, news, and scores. Get the latest odds and lines, including the latest player reports for this year's pro basketball playoffs and, I guess, professional hockey playoffs if we're dancing around the trademarks. Bet Online is always your sports information headquarters this season as we have you covered for all of your sports wagering needs basketball, MLB. NHL hockey, right to the UFC and boxing. Very, no, I won't get into the ad copy here. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info, including live betting options and your favorite casino and card games you can play right from your couch. Head to the website or use your mobile device to get on the action. Be sure to use our promo code BELIEVE when you sign up at betonline.ag. Promo code BELIEVE. Get yourself a $200 first time deposit, find $100 in there as well get your 50 percent welcome bonus bet online where the game starts game time game time babe that's also another great app that doesn't sponsor us so they'll get no more free airtime. fair enough all right where do you where would you like to start so this is actually the first episode in quite a long time that required an outline so yeah. for today's episode we have jmu football 
We're going to break down some spring game, break down some quarterback battle, and then we're going to go down into Isaac Ukwu entering the transfer portal, what that means for the front seven, and kind of what it means overall for the program. Then we're going to switch gears. We're going to head over to the basketball, the hardwood, talk about the transfer portal, men's basketball they've added to. Uh, Kiki Jefferson has found her new home, so we'll talk about what that means for her. And then we'll go back into football, but a little bit more of a uh, housekeeping clerical way of football with the waiver. Hopefully that is decided live. If not, we'll talk about what to expect and some of the things that uh, have come out in the last two to three weeks about this waiver. And then from there, we'll go into some spring sports, baseball, softball, lacrosse, and golf teams competing at their respective tournaments. Uh, and golf just had one of their players, women's golf just had one of their players receive an at-large bid. I, if, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, that's the first ever at-large bid JMU women's golf has received. I think it's at least for, a, for a player for a player i think it's for uh, so first one since 2010 okay kendall turner very cool good for her that's that's fantastic shout out to kendall turner i bet i bet people didn't think we we're gonna lead off with kendall turner but we are a golf podcast first and foremost when are you getting tommy baker back on the pod yeah we gotta have him on over the off season for sure yeah i was i was scrolling through uh I was scrolling through some of our back catalog and I didn't realize Tommy Baker came on like two years ago now. I think it was during yeah, COVID. It was COVID, yeah. But good times. We we've had a nice little string of of uh of interviewees. We had Percy on a few weeks ago, Devin Ravenel on last week. So yeah, you gotta you gotta get some Tommy Baker action in here. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, let's 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 get into the spring game. Okay. Spring game, <laughs> um not streamed, so all we really know that should be like 30 <laughs> seconds. Like what, what the hell? Go ahead. Let, let it out. Well, somebody, I think Georgia Southern was streamed. I imagine that's because, I mean, yes, JMU needs their streamed, but I imagine that's because Clay Helton wanted it streamed where I imagine Kurt Signetti does not want it streamed. But that's stupid. If that's the case, I want, I think there were also some, some talk that maybe was like, Certain home games were like bandwidth to stretch thin because like teams are playing real games. But man, from like a fan engagement standpoint. Well, that's one hundred percent it. I mean, I just don't think they have the manpower to to put together a broadcast uh, or a spring game. Fair enough. A game like, that I had would, I'd eat that up. Would you pay for it? I would yeah. Well, depending really? on the price, obviously. Five dollars. I would pay like five. Yeah, I'd probably pay ten dollars. I think I'd pay ten because it's it's 15. like the only I'd pay 20 and under. It's it's the only... <laughs> you like, saw where in, I was going. The only insight, like video insight, you can get from like their last game in November to when they play again in September. So yeah, I would take yeah. it just because it's like we don't... We're blind to a lot of it. I at least wish we had like highlights come from it. There's a little... WHSV had a little... So I saw like a couple of clips there where... Looked like McLeod tried to force one into coverage, but it was on a fourth down. So I don't think that's a bad decision because it's like it's either you convert or it's picked. You know what I mean? To actually be field position wise, it would have been a good play <laughs> if it was picked. I we'll we'll break down some of the things that have been said about this quarterback battle. But first, overall, the spring game um, there was a weather delay. Not mm-hmm. a lot of fans in attendance because of that weather delay. Although this isn't a slight to JMU football, um, the spring game never attracts a lot of people. I think the only time you ever get bring in a lot of people is like when you hire Deion Sanders. Or if you're like Alabama or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard so, to get. 
people to go. But the biggest thing coming out of the spring game was the quarterback battle. We're going to break down some of the numbers. These were tweeted out from Noah Fleischman, um, the DNR football beat writer. He and Shane Metlin covered the game for the Daily News record. Uh, spring game quarterback numbers. Jordan McLeod led the way, having the best completion percentage, uh, the most yards thrown, and the only quarterback to throw for a touchdown. He went 9 for 12, 145 yards with that TD. Alonzo Barnett went 8 for 12 for 64 yards. He did lead the team to a touchdown on the opening drive. It was capped off by who else? Latrell Palmer, one-yard touchdown. Billy Atkins went 7 for 10 for 50 yards, no interceptions. Brett Griffiths, the Wake Forest transfer, went 0 for 2 uh, with no yards. Atkins, Barnett, and McLeod all had touchdown drives. Uh, Atkins and Barnett's were rushing touchdowns to cap off their drives. Yeah. So uh, why, don't, why don't you tell us your thoughts on the quarterback battle since you were uh, you're tweeting like a madman during the game that you were not, in fact, watching. <laughs> well, when you put it like that, it makes me look insane. But I just don't understand. Okay, so what kind of bothered me was there's not a lot of eyes on this game from a video perspective. And I'm not trying to take shots here, but to me, the coverage <laughs> you always when the butt's coming. But like the coverage of it seemed a little slanted. Um, don't get me wrong. I would love to see Alonzo Barnett take the field against Bucknell if he is ready. But he's a redshirt freshman quarterback who was recruited to come play at FCS JMU. He, by all by all measures, it seems like he is giving Jordan McLeod a run for his money. But that doesn't mean you have to cover the quarterback battle from the spring game in a glowing light for Barnett and this terrible light for McLeod. It seemed like whenever McLeod made a mistake or something happened that wasn't necessarily perfect. Oh, it was a terrible decision by Jordan McLeod. I don't, I don't understand. Well, yeah, he threw for 145 yards and a touchdown, but if, if four of his throws go the other way and they're not caught, then he's not throwing for that many yards. Well, it's like, yeah, but he did complete them. Did he have some questionable decision-making as Ben mentioned earlier? I wasn't there. I'm not a hundred percent sure. However, most all of the tweets I saw that questioned his decision-making were on fourth and one, McLeod rolled out to the pocket trying to make something happen. Well, yeah, it was a spring game. And it's fourth and one. Of course, he's going to try and make some. That's quite literally his job. Like we saw Ben DiNucci do it plenty. And I don't know. Jordan McLeod is the best player. I think as of right now, Jordan McLeod is the best quarterback on this roster. Has he not played really any meaningful snaps since what? COVID 2020 for Arizona or USF. Yeah. Is he a little rusty? Probably, but he was a PAC 12 starter who transferred here. He's not transferring here unless he's all but guaranteed the starting spot. I don't know. It's just weird. He's the best quarterback and it showed with his numbers. I think he's got to be the favorite, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of how I look at it in from like, obviously someone who's not at practice every day, but I don't think anyone who's, who's at practice other than the players gets to see a lot of practice. So yeah. the spring game is sort of the one where I think the local media now has a bit of an edge in terms of what they've seen. But like Jordan McLeod was really good at USF. Like he was, he was very, very solid for a team that sucked. Like he played well and was keeping them in games throughout like the early portion of his career. He had a game where they played ranked Cincinnati and he was solid, I think in 2019. And then his last game at USF, it was in 2020. It was against UCF, which I think was ranked. 
and he threw for like 405 yards and four touchdowns and no picks. I think he ran for a touchdown as well, where he lowered his shoulder and bulldozed a guy. Like he's good. And I know that he's missed in time with injury, right? So he hasn't played a lot, but you add in his experience and he's like, if you were setting odds on who's going to be the starter, he's the betting favorite. It doesn't mean he's guaranteed to win, but he's the favorite. And the other thing, and maybe my biggest point that was bothering me is pretty much every local media outlet that covered it after the spring game said that JMU left the spring with a four man quarterback competition, which is simply wrong. Like, so, so that bothered me because that's not true. Like Brett Griffiths and Billy Atkins are no longer in the competition. Well, yeah. And you show that because they were the only ones taking second team reps. They never took first team reps. So like, very clearly you can see by which team they're taking reps with that it is a two-man battle. Not only that, Barnett and McLeod had more pass attempts than Billy Atkins did, and they had the same amount each that what Billy Atkins and Brett Griffiths had combined. If I'm not mis- – let me do my quick math here. Yes. Yeah, Billy Atkins had t- – I didn't know if Billy had nine or ten attempts. So Billy Atkins and Brett Griffiths combined for 12 attempts. McLeod and Barnett had 12 each. Like that right there tells you that the the decision has been made on who is QB1, who is QB2. Heck, there's not even a battle for QB3 right now. I think it's pretty clearly Billy Atkins is QB3, and Brett Griffiths is viewed more as a project guy that can grow within the system. I mean, Barnett kind of had similar numbers, if I'm not mistaken, last spring game to what Brett Griffiths had, kind of lower-ed numbers that took him out of the QB1 competition fairly early on after the spring game. Um, and just to expand upon what you were saying, McLeod, in his career at South Florida, threw for 2,700 yards on 58.4% completion, averaged a 125.8 passer rating. Uh, he played three games in, for Arizona in the Pac-12 in 2021, I believe starting all three of those games. Uh, in those three games, he had a 66.7% completion percentage. His completion percentage has only gotten better each year he has played. He threw for 481 yards. Uh, averaging 6.7 yards per attempt. He had a, like one game with Arizona through five picks, and then he started again the next week, was playing really well, and like broke his ankle or something with like a nasty hit. And then he was out again last year. But like when he's healthy, and he appears to be healthy, he's super quick. Like he can really move and make plays in the pocket, which I think is a big time weapon. He's got a strong arm. Like, yeah, decision making needs to be solid. But you mentioned the Ben DiNucci comp, kind of reminds me of him. With like that that quick gliding ability where he's like he's not that big, but he can kind of lower his shoulders still and make some plays. And Kurt Signetti and company really made Danucci make smart decisions. So I feel yes. like they could do the same with McLeod. So it, it just makes sense that he's the guy. But yeah, I mean, my main thing was like, hey, let's let's stop. Kurt Signetti didn't rule anyone officially out of the competition, but like we can all be honest here, right? It's it's a safe space. Like it's not four guys. Brett Griffiths threw two spring game attempts has never thrown a pass in college, but for sure he's going to start on the road in Charlottesville on September 9th. Like he's just not, it doesn't mean he can't be good one day or he won't start one day or whatever, but like it's not a four man battle. It's a two man battle. And let's give credit to Jordan McLeod. That's, that's the part that I think bothers me that you were alluding to is like, he was really good at USF and started for Arizona and made some plays. Like let's at least give him his due and say, Hey, this dude deserves like, on paper, a little bit of an edge. He's better than what Todd Centeo was coming yes. from Colorado State. And like, 
and also the revisionist history about last season is kind of bothering me too. Where like this is the second year in a row where there's kind of been like a clear leader in the clubhouse, and yeah, and I'm not trying to rag on the local media. They do a great job. It's a very hard job. You can only cover what's being told to you. But at times, maybe this is me a personal thing. Maybe this isn't all JMU fans. And if it's not all JMU fans, I understand. But I would love a little bit of opinion put in every now and then. Like, can we get a quote? Signetti said, yeah, this is a four-man quarterback battle. Every guy is competing out there, and, and we're excited to see what we can trot out uh, against Bucknell in the season opener. And then maybe after that, Jordan McLeod threw for 2,700 yards during his career at USF. He's the only guy with legitimate group of five starting experience outside of Billy Atkins who threw five interceptions in three pass attempts. Like, thank you. It's just, it's the context, right? Where it's like Signetti says one thing, but it's fair to be like Kurt Signetti says it's a four man battle, but Brett Griffiths has never thrown a collegiate pass has not been in the system through two passes in the spring game work with the second team offense. Like Alonzo Barnett has been praised multiple times at practice, redshirt freshman that they love. Like it seems like, based on information provided that it's turning into a two man battle. You can say that and still say Signetti claims it's a four. Like if Atkins goes off in the fall, which is almost impossible given the fact that he's not working with the first team, he could work his way. Right. Like if you're not working with the first team, kind of hard to then be like, wow, he's outplaying the guy who's getting practice reps with the first. It's hard once you've already fallen behind is, is kind of what I'm getting at. Yeah, and we've kind of alluded to it, but I just want to quickly break down the pros and cons of both Jordan McLeod and Alonzo Barnett and what their chances are for starting September 2nd against Bucknell at home. For McLeod, I think, as you said earlier, he's if there were markets on this, if you could bet on this, he would be the betting favorite to win that QB1 spot. Um, I think some of his pros, shiftiness, athleticism, uh, has a very good arm. He had a 64-yard touchdown to Reggie Brown in that spring game. Only quarterback, if I'm not mistaken, based off the tweets I was reading, to have a completion of 20 yards or more um, so he can push the ball down the field. He can extend plays. He can get out of the pocket. When he does get out of the pocket, he has the ability to put the ball down and run. Um, however, from what it sounds like, decision-making may be a slight question mark. However, in Signetti systems, in Tino Sinceri systems, we've seen decision-making become a, a strong trait of these quarterbacks. Um, and it is worth mentioning McLeod has been practicing with this team for three weeks. Centeno last year took his biggest steps in the fall. Like he kind of played well at the end of the spring, but like at the end of the spring and into the fall, he really grasped the playbook and made the leap, which you're kind of thinking McLeod could do as well. And then I guess kind of my, my, other point and maybe my last point on the quarterback battle is just that if Alonzo Barnett gets the QB one job and Kurt Signetti trusts him to go on the road at UVA on the road at Troy on the road at Utah state first, first three FBS starts. We're talking about like a guy with potential to be the greatest quarterback in JMU history, like not to, overblow it but like no guy has ever gone against that kind of schedule because they've been playing in the fcs like for him to do that and then also have four years of eligibility like he's the kind of guy that power five teams would then be looking at so the other thing that just bothers me is like it's when it's phrased around this battle it's like first of all mcleod can ball and if barnett beats him like 
this dude is like Jamie's version of Grayson McCall. Like he's about to be really special if he's the guy. And I feel like that hasn't been contextualized where like, if he does win, he's like historic potential for what he can do with this program. Historic potential and his work that he put in from last season. Yes. This guy couldn't beat Billy Atkins out for the QB two spot until Billy Atkins put himself in the QB three spot. Right. And that's when Barnett became the backup behind Centeno, never really seeing any action. And then to be able to take that jump from being the third string quarterback to now pushing a Pac-12 starter who made legit plays at the American, like that's an insane jump. And then as you said, he has four years of eligibility. He can become one of the greatest quarterbacks. And we've seen what Signetti and Sanceri can do. And then not only that, I want to contextualize it even further. He could then be the go-to guy next. We've never had a QB2 that is the guy next year, right? It's always, well, we're going to add someone in the portal. Well, we're going to add someone in the portal. Well, we're going to add someone. Next year, at the end of this year, no matter how Jordan McLeod does, he's done. And I don't feel like at the end of this year, we're going to be talking, well, they're going to add someone in the portal. Because I think it's Alonzo, Alonzo Barnett. Like, I think he's so, so good. And I just think Jordan McLeod is very, very experienced. And this segues us into the beginning part of this schedule where it is Bucknell, a cupcake, on the road, UVA, on the road against the defending Sunbelt champion, Troy, on the road against a formidable Utah State team, which maybe if Utah State was coming to Bridgeforth, we're not worried about that game. But you're going out to Logan, Utah. That is going to be a tough trip. And then after that, South Alabama, one of the top teams in the West, comes to Bridgeport. So, like, that is a gauntlet September. Yeah, it's really hard. It's a super hard schedule. So, it's, it's yeah, it's like if he, if Barnett wins the starting job, he's a stud. And I just feel like that hasn't been properly expressed. But also, like, it's hard to beat McLeod, especially with McLeod's experience. And I think either guy, and, and maybe one of the bigger points here, right, is like last year the gap between between QB1 and QB2 was kind of unacceptable. Like where they went from like, oh, we're the best team in the Sun Belt to like we – We wouldn't win a Sun Belt game. Ball. Yeah. Like we are bad now. So like that was that was not a good <laughs> a good dip. And I think one of the big offseason goals that kind of went um, maybe under the radar because we talked so much about the QB1 battle was just strengthening the gap from one to two. And I think they – done that assuming barnett is as good as kind of advertised here i think they've done that atkins seemed like he made smart decisions in the spring game so maybe he's sort of solidified himself as a qb3 that's grown and developed a little as well so that that's really positive like regardless of who wins and i I don't think the fans are all like pro i don't even know that you're like pro jordan mcleod over barnett i think it's just sort of trying to contextualize the situation and say like hey his experience is really relevant. I think it would be really dope if Barnett wins the starting job because that's be an cool. awesome story. I also wanted to be known that Jordan McLeod is a Pac-12 transfer who balled out in his first two years in college at South Florida on a South Florida team that had no talent around him and he still made them look somewhat okay. Like He's a very good quarterback and I feel like it's almost disrespectful to him that the local media and the media overall is just like forgotten about him. And like it was insinuated that Billy Atkins could start week one. That's just wrong. 
Yeah, I don't think I don't think he's going to start, but good to see him improving. And I, honestly, to be honest with you, I'm surprised with there's like four days for quarterbacks to still enter the portal. I'm surprised all of the four guys on scholarship are still like they yeah. all hang around. I kind of thought they would lose one. I mean, there's a few days left for that to happen. But if it does happen, they've got really good depth at the position. Yeah, for sure. So week one, who's coming out of the tunnel as QB1? I'm, I'm not going against uh, McLeod until like we get in deep into the summer and, and Signetti's praising Barnett. I just think the thing with like Barnett is they're talking about how like the reps will really help him. And I agree with that. Like the more reps he gets, the more comfortable he gets, but, all that. I think the same is true of McLeod. <laughs> McLeod hasn't played a meaningful snap in a year and a half. Too. Like he's also rusty. He's also learning the playbook. You would assume more reps. He too will get much, much better. So they also like, and I guess we can get into this position wide stuff, but like receiver, they're looking for some guys. They had a few guys they really like who weren't working in the, uh, in the spring. Like once you get into fall camp and you're McLeod and you're talking about maybe some riskier throws, if you got all your guys who were like your best receivers, like sometimes you got to do like Brian Shore's one of the greatest quarterbacks ever, right? In terms of numbers and stuff, he threw a lot of 50, 50 balls. He threw a ton of 50-50 balls. When you, when you have the receivers that can go up and get them, it's okay. Right. And it sounds like Reggie Brown is one of those guys that can go up and get them. He seems like he can go get them. There's a photo on the page of Phoenix Sproles going up over a couple guys making a catch that I assume is McLeod throw. <laughs> so, like, uh, I don't know. I think it's uh, – they've, they've got some receivers that I think are talented. So, in th- tight ends, right, Taylor Thompson apparently stood out a good bit. The Charlotte transfer is basically a receiver. So, I don't know. they got options. Um, worth noting before we go fully into, I guess, that breakdown real quick, I do want to say my hot take. Okay, hit me with your hot take. I think it is more likely that Jordan McLeod wins Sunbelt Player of the Year than it is that he is not QB1. That's bold. I like that. Thank you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but but uh, with, yeah, with receivers and anything, Reggie Brown, Phoenix Sproles seem to be like they'll be key contributors. Elijah Surratt, I think, has been getting a lot of hype around him as well. He's supposed uh, to be good, and I think he had, Signetti was saying he had a soft tissue, so they didn't get to see as much of him as they wanted, but like he had a damn good I, freshman year. I will be very, very interested to see how they use Taylor Thompson as a tight end, because yeah. Signetti has never really utilized tight ends in um, exotic ways. He always kind of uses a one or two tight end set where they're essentially blockers. And if they're in the passing game, they're leaking out down the seam for just a 10 yard catch or they're a red zone target. We've never really seen one split out wide. Uh, We've never really seen one utilized extensively in the past game, but it seems like Taylor Thompson, 6'3", 232, uh, is a guy that can be kind of that hybrid tight end that you're seeing a lot more of in the NFL and even at the college level. Um, not sa- I'm not saying he is going to be this level of player, this caliber of player, but you've seen it with Brock Bowers. You've seen it with Kyle Pitts, even Michael Mayer, where they're not traditionally lined up at the end of, at the end of the line of scrimmage next to the tackle. They're split out. They're playing in the slot. They're playing outside with the receivers. We'll be very interested to see if the Shanahan offense will do that with Thompson. Yeah, it'll be uh, – they got some some weapons to use, and I think they 
can certainly use the tight ends. They've got a couple offers out to UConn wide receivers who are, are pretty good. So I'm interested to see if they can grab one of those guys. Um, offensive line should be darn good. Running backs look good. Tyson Lawton was a standout. And defensively, defensively, Isaac Ukwu was gone, which is very sad. Maybe I, I'm I'm very happy for him. I'm excited to see where he ends up. He initially got tra- he got offers from Auburn and Colorado. He's added offers from Ole Miss, um, nearly every single P five school that is legitimate. Um, he's gotten a lot of offers, which isn't shocking. He's been kind of a stud on the defensive line who can play both the run and the pass, and was an elite rushing end. Um, so he'll go somewhere. Uh, and he'll make an impact wherever he lands. Very good for him. I don't know how – I just hyped him up there. But I don't know how huge of a loss it is from a line standpoint itself. Like, I don't know if we'll necessarily see the defensive front seven take a massive step back with his absence. I don't think so either. Like, I think he's really good, and they'll, yes. they'll definitely miss him. Yes, he's, yes. He's a big-time player. But I was I was looking at – um some of the returners and, and the quality players they have coming back. And there's just like no shortage of really good players that played a lot. So we're looking obviously at Abby Nwabako Okonji. Whose <laughs> We've name mentioned I, his name. We've said his, his name, name. I now have to learn. <laughs> <laughs> but like every year we've brought him up as like, this is a guy, a power five gritty transfer from Minnesota. That's like four years ago now. He, it was a while ago. He got some run last year and started to come on. And him and, and Chroma, the Rutgers transfer, they both added a little bit of weight. So Chroma last year was he was playing at 258. They had him listed right now on the roster, 6'4, 272. And they moved him from inside to outside. So he added like 15 pounds of muscle and they <laughs> want him on the edge. So <laughs> I'm pretty sure Abby also has added like. 40 pounds since his first year at JMU. Yeah, he's 270 now. So he's <laughs> all, like, they've got these massive guys on the edge with good athleticism. So I'm pretty stoked about that. Jalen Green's really quick at, at an edge rusher, 6'1, 245. So they've got that. And then when Kamara was healthy last year, he was probably the best defensive lineman on the team. <laughs> his stats are gross. He played, it was like four or five games. I let me make sure I get it actually correct. So he played in. How many games did he play in? Let's see. He played in five games, had four and a half tackles for loss and four sacks in five games. So like a full season, he's like putting up Uku numbers if he's healthy. Yeah, he's very good. I mean, this is, and that's what I mean. Like they're just going to replace him with guys who just are capable. It, It has seemed like since we have gone to JMU, they have just had a rotating door of stud defensive linemen. Rondell Carter, uh, John Daka. Now it's Jalen Green and Kamara and Ukwu. And then there was, I'm missing so many throughout the years, but like. Ankra was a good one. Ankra. They've had some, some really impressive. Did you say Rondell Carter already? I did say Rondell Carter. Yeah. Well, he's a good one. I remember him (laughs) because he had a, uh, he had a sack in like the USFL like two days ago. And I was like, oh my God. He did. He was also like signed. He was like, there was a bidding war for him. Coming out like out of the NFL draft. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that. They've <laughs> but, had some guys. But yeah, so Uku was in the transfer portal. He's gone. Um, where do you think he's going? Let, let's do let's play that game. I think Colorado. I think he's going to Dion. I don't think so. He could I mean he might. I don't know. I kind of see him going 
I think he'd be good at like an ACC school, but he hasn't been sharing a lot of ACC offers, but like Cincinnati just offered him. That'd be a fun one in the big 12, a lot of chances to get after the passer there. I'm trying to think of who else West Virginia is interesting, but like an old miss and Auburn, I got to think those are, are pretty tempting. If he goes to Colorado, it'll be quite the, uh, quite the experience. I'll say that, but um, who, who knows exactly. Where do you, what's your pick? I said Colorado. Yeah, I think Colorado, it's Colorado. we're locking in Colorado. I think Deion Sanders has so much pull there right now. Like, I think he could sell water to a fish. He could certainly get his guys out of his program pretty well. He's doing a nice job ushering some guys out. <laughs> <laughs> He's ushering them out to open up scholarships for Uku. For Uku. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then um, Jamie is actually going after defensive linemen in the portal now too, which I thought was interesting. So they offered a like a four-year guy at North Dakota State who started last year. Was supposed to start. I think it was Tony Pierce. If I'm not mistaken, is his name. And then they, they offered Kells Bush, an LSU transfer. He ended up playing for them last year. He's like a freshman. He's like, he came out of high school. He was like 6'3, 6'4, 265. He's like 6'4, 300 right now, just like a monster defensive tackle. So that would be a, a fascinating one where it's kind of that mold what they've done with other guys, right? Like, like Minnesota and Rutgers where they added those transfers from power programs and they like sort of slowly work their way up where if they add Bush, I feel like wait two years and he'll, he'll be like <laughs> absolutely wrecking people. Yeah. That's going to be, it's going to be something. Is getting there any other pos- portal? What was that? I said, they're getting after it in the portal. It's well, stuff. Who out? What is there another position group? You're like, I, I want them to maybe bolster that position group a little bit more. Okay. I wanted to ask you about this because like linebacker, they seem sneaky loaded because Aiden Fisher apparently is like very, very good. And Trent Hedrick's really good. And they only play like two. We yeah. obviously have the, the starters, Jalen Walker and Torres Jones. Both so like seem, all Sun Belt caliber players. They seem good at a lot of positions. Receiver, I think they'll add at least a guy or two. They haven't done a lot in the secondary. And the secondary was kind of the area <laughs> that was like, wait a second. This is the liability defensively. They added the Elon transfer who is what didn't join in the spring. So he'll get there in the fall. I think it's Trayvon Jones, but they haven't done a lot in the second. Yeah, and not only that, they've actually lost bodies. Brent Austin, who was like the standout freshman slot corner. If I'm, I think he played majority of like in the slot last season injured, but that was initially kind of incorrectly reported on. So the Signetti then talked and said, he'll be back in the fall. It was, they had like a dislocated kneecap thing. They fixed it. He'll be back in the fall. Okay. So, so- I think people saw the photo of him and they're like, he's done forever, which was just not. I did think he was like done for at least a little bit of the season. Um, Antoine Booth, I've been high on since he's come from Michigan State. Mm-hmm. I think this is going to be his second or third year in the program. Second year because he's a redshirt soft. Yeah. COVID messes everything up though. Um, but he's now been in the program for a few years. I expect him to maybe make some more starts mm-hmm. uh, over his career. <clears throat> he played in just one game a year ago against Texas State. Uh, and then actually this will be his second year in the program. He transferred last year was his first year. I feel like I've been seeing his name a lot longer. Um, you got Devin Coles, the Norfolk state transfer. Uh, he played in 10 games last year, more as like a Rover type. So kind of transitioned him into that hybrid role. He's five, nine, one Then you got Meredith, the NC state transfer, Jamari Selden, and Justin Eaglin. Yeah, you could go for a couple more corners. Uh, safety, though, I think is pretty good. 
Safety, they've got some depth. I also think it's funny because you'll have guys like Xavier Coakley enter the portal. Um, appears to be off Jamie's roster. Uh, kind of interesting that they keep Uku's, <laughs> Uku's theme on there in case he uh, maybe changes his mind or something. <laughs> it's like they'll have a big guy transfer. It's like, let's wait until he commits somewhere before we take him off the official page. And then these other guys are like, bye-bye. Like, <laughs> it makes you wonder that like maybe Coakley was pushed out. Not pushed out, but they had one of those meetings after the spring yeah. game and coach was like, you're not playing. They've had a few of those where I think it's like, hey, you probably don't have a lot of playing time. They're like, oh, all right, I'll find somewhere else to go. But um, – yeah, for the yeah. for the safeties, you still have Q Reed, you still have Remenique, you still have Surratt, um, Chuck you have Chuck Winecki, you have Francis Meehan. I think you're fine. They've got Safety the. Wise. I think this is the thing that's so fascinating with me, though. It's like maybe it'll be development and schematic changes, but they've had a lot of these guys. Like these are the same guys that had some really good showings last year, in the same group that like looked like they couldn't stop anyone against Georgia Southern. So it's just interesting that Signetti seems to be fairly content to just run it back. And maybe there's some schematic stuff they think old. And also growth. Like, you got to imagine Chauncey Logan was a very good freshman corner. So you imagine if he takes that step forward to be a very good sophomore corner, then you have a one of the best CB1s in the entire Sun Belt. And then from there, you're only trying to fill one cornerback role. Like, maybe, that, maybe we're not seeing behind the scenes that, like, one of these corners have really taken a step up. Mm-hmm. Also worth noting that the defense did win the spring game. So for our offense's sake, I sure as hell hope that the defense has taken a step forward. I think they um, – apparently Logan is, I think, playing really well. which is Charles exciting. or Chauncey? <laughs> our guy Chauncey. Uh, Dave Riggert was talking with Reggie Brown, and apparently it's like Reggie Brown and Chauncey Logan 1v1 constantly in practice, which is awesome that Chauncey Logan as a sophomore is like you're – cornerback one so i am excited about the potential depth there but we'll i'm interested to see if they add anyone else alongside the the elon transfer to maybe add a little yeah competition at the at the defensive back spot but overall man the roster is really good yeah it's gonna be a good year should be should be well eventually sometime in this off season um we will do a full game by game breakdown of the schedule i have a question for you before we move to basketball, oh, sorry, sorry, what do you basketball. make of the? Uh, we got Ukwu, Antoine Wells, Tucker Dorsey. What are sort of your thoughts? Wesley McCormick. On, okay, Wesley McCormick. What are your thoughts on? Uh, the Wesley McCormick erasure has to stop. Well, I don't. I don't think he was like. A, maybe he was. I guess he was like a fan favorite. He he made some pretty big plays. He was time. good. So <laughs> you've got these guys that are like fan favorites. They're the faces of you know, the defense or the offense, and then they leave tough for fans. How do you sort of, I guess, square being a fan in the portal era? Cause it can be a bit of a challenge when your favorite players are all leaving. It's tough. I was hurt more by Kiki leaving yeah. um, than I am about Ukwu for football. I don't think it hurts me as much than it does for basketball. Cause for football, I think you can replace the guys a little bit easier. And for me, it's, more understandable because from a college football level, as much as we love JMU, you're just not getting the same professional opportunities you are that South Carolina, that Texas affords you. Um, Like Antoine Wells is going to be a top 10 receiver this year. And he's catching passes from Spencer Rattler, who 
love him or hate him, I think he's probably better than all the quarterbacks on Jamie's roster right now. Um, and he's going up against SEC competition week in, week out. He's going to be a first or second round draft pick, in my opinion, if he has another fantastic season. He, he's not doing that at JMU. So go and, and get your stuff. Tucker Dorsey, does he still have a year of eligibility? I think he's. I think he might have actually like retired from football. Now he that's a, shocking that he went to Texas. Yeah, he had a he had a post like after the season that was like thanking football for like its presence in his life, and I think he ran out of eligibility. So I assume that also meant he wasn't trying to play professionally. But so for him, I was going to say it also gave him an opportunity to play against great teams week in and week Big out time. and make an impact potentially boost his draft stock. But if he's not going that route, he's not going that route for basketball. It feels a little different. And I guess we can talk about it a little bit where like, it's just so hard to get drafted in the NBA that even if you then go from one mid major to another mid major, or you go to be like a sixth or seventh man at a power five, your chances of getting drafted like John Moran was still the number two overall pick playing at Murray state, Like you can still make noise at, whatever school like I think that holds true if you if you can play they'll find you that holds more true to basketball so that hurts me more when they transfer that makes a ton of sense yeah I think it's also too like it's just kind of cool for some of them right like if you're like an old Miss Saturday it is it is also it's also dope as a fan low-key to be like damn we had a guy who like look at all of these teams that want him it puts it in perspective that I sometimes miss out on when it's like, I, I knew well, Antoine Wells was good, but then when he was like five minutes into the quarter, he was like Miami offered. I was like, Oh <laughs> no, well, he's really good. Like, even with Ukwu, you were like, oh, I yeah. mean, 80 tackles over the last two seasons. I guess that's good. And then you're like, Oh, the entire sec has offered within an hour of him entering the portal. He also got a Liberty offer, which I was like, all right, Jamie Chadwell, like shoot your shot, man. <laughs> Same with <laughs> South Florida. <laughs> like, Good for you. Try. <laughs> yeah, that was super funny to see. But no, it's uh, it's pretty cool. I think those experiences. And I think from a JMU perspective, like there was sort of some hints uh, in the media that they might have some NIL stuff coming. Interested to see what that is, if they can get that going. And then from like uh, trying to keep these stars like in the future as they develop them, you kind of got to start leading some guys. Like, you got to actually send some dudes to the NFL. Not like an yes. undrafted free agent who battles in. But, like, if you're getting one guy picked every four years, it's sort of a hard sell to be like, you should stay here, actually, for your seventh year because you can go pro. And it's like, can they? So they got to start sending some dudes to the league. If they if they do that, which I think they can in the Sun Belt, it might change some of their, their fortunes occasionally with some of these guys who are just trying to go pro. Yeah, I agree. Speaking of wanting to go pro – Basketball transfer season is here. We'll first start with Kiki Jefferson. Has a fi- announced officially she's going to Louisville to fidget, finish out her collegiate career. Uh, Haley Van Leith, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, left the Cardinals. Um, she transferred out after a fantastic run, but Louisville is still poised to be a top ACC contender uh, and make a potential run in the NCAA tournament. And with Kiki there, I, I assume she'll slot in as a starting forward for them. Yeah, that's big time. I thought she was going to go, which we talked about, closer to home. I thought that might have been the the motivation. I think the motivation is, like, get to the league any way possible. And it makes sense that she would want to do it at a Power 5 school because you just don't get the eyes on you. Um, and, and really, you're not playing the same level of competition to even really prepare you 
for the NFL where I feel like it's not entirely true, but like in football at the Sun Belt, like you're still going up against some really good competition. Like Sun Belt women's basketball is so different than ACC women's basketball compared to like Sun Belt football and ACC football um, that it makes sense that she wanted to to make the move. She'll be missed. That's a tough one to lose for sure. Yeah, it's a very tough one to lose. It's the portal, man. Life in the portal. I would agree, though. I think that one was tougher because she's, I don't know, she's been a star for four years. And that's that was a hard one. That was a hard yeah. one to watch her go. Um, on the flip side, who did he play for most recently? Which Boston one? College. Yeah. TJ Bickerstaff and Michael Green the third are coming to JMU. JMU's lost, I think, just one player to the portal. Who was the second? Uh, Ianacho and Strickland. Oh, I forgot about it. Ianacho went for, uh, I mean, both, it seems like, kind of went for family reasons. Yeah. Ianacho, it was reported that he wanted to go closer to home. I think something was happening in his home life. So he actually went back to North Dakota. Strickland, who's been struggling with injuries ever since he came to Harrisonburg. Fantastic point guard, win healthy, really good defensively. Um, but now he transferred to LIU to pair up with dad, Rod Strickland, who is the head coach. To fill those two scholarships, uh, JMU has added TJ Bickerstaff, a 6'9 senior forward from Atlanta, Georgia. This past season, um, he played for Boston College, making a good amount of starts uh, starting in 21 of the 33 games he played in he averaged 18 minutes a game and he scored 5.2 points per game while pulling down 5.6 rebounds uh, and dishing out 1.2 assists his shooting percentage 47 percent from the floor does not shoot threes whatsoever and on the other side you have michael green the third who is going to be a redshirt senior from bronx new york Coming to the Dukes from Robert Morris by way of Bryant. Uh, and in last season, he started three games for the Colonels, the Colonials. I forget. I think they're the Colonials. Um, started three games for the Colonials, played in 31, averaged 26.3 minutes per game, shot 42% from the floor, 36% from three. Uh, and scored nine points per game with 4.2 assists per game. That was a lot of numbers. Good additions, I think. Yeah. You got bigger staff's a good one. Bigger staff can rebound a lot. Which bigger I staff's like. very good. Michael then, Green. I like the Michael Green one because he can shoot a little bit, but he's kind of like a pass first ball handler. So now Brown doesn't have to do that all on his own. So I dig it. I dig both of them. They're kind of still similar. They've got two scholarships left i think to play with there's there's still kind of maybe it's three it's two or three i think it's two but anyway. yeah green had a two to one assist to turnover ratio they got That's a good. decent team returning i think the thing that is maybe intriguing is they look like depending on who else they add they might not go 10 deep which would be cool they look more <laughs> like they might be like hey here's our eight-man rotation which would i kind of prefer yeah at times it felt like the 10-man rotation almost Hurt them rather than it help them. Guys just not in rhythm. Um, I they do have a few more scholarships left, right? Four more. It's two. I think it's two or three, but it's okay. um. I don't. See two. I would. I would still love to see a little bit more size. 
I think they're going at least wing size. They had one that was interesting, Quincy Allen, who they've been talking to is a Colorado transfer. He to visited go campus. Else. No, he visited campus right. on the spring game. Yeah. He's a good one. He only played like real minutes in one game this year. It was like 17 minutes against USC. He blocked four shots in 17 minutes. Yeah, it worries me though. He couldn't really find the court. I don't know. It's a Pac-12 team. I'm okay with that. Like, yeah, but didn't Colorado win like not a lot of games? Were they bad? I, don't I know. thought they were bad. Well, hey, <laughs> I still I'd be okay with that. I think he was a former like top 100 recruit or something. So maybe you can get something out of the guy. Okay. But they're not going to have a true big. They're not going to have one, and that still bothers me. Is that just Byington? I guess we can talk about this more leading up to the season next year, but is that just Byington's MO? I guess so. I guess so. I mean, I think Bickerstaff can can hold his own in the post, which will be good. And, like, Roberson might actually kind of seem like a big 6'9 and long, so he might be more that big, but I don't know. But, like, we'll your see. tallest guy 6'9, whatever, whatever. You gotta. I think Bickerstaff's also six and nine, but they gotta yes. have. They got. They gotta find a way to compete a little bit more in the post, man. It's like the clear stats where they're not there. Well, in another place that's not there, it's the waiver. The waiver is still not here. We were pushing this off to see how long we go. If maybe we could get a live breaking news type of thing yeah. for the uh, for this, but the waiver is still not here. And I think it's worth mentioning. We've tweeted about it a few times, um, and now we're gonna say it on the podcast. I think it is worth mentioning. The waiver's not a done deal. Like, this is, in my opinion, a very much 50-50 shot. Which is not how it was phrased to us. We were told that in, like, week seven, that if JMU wanted to put in for the waiver that season, they were going to get it if they wanted to play in the Bahamas Bowl. Or there was an option that they could even throw it in, but then it was there was some there's some stuff out there that we'll we'll dig up, folks, if we need to. That was credible. Yeah, there's some more revisionist history, like we have seen a, from a done, Todd's and all tale. but a done deal, all but assured they were getting the waiver. If they don't get the waiver, which sounds like is a possibility, very good possibility, because it's the rule. The rule is you don't get the waiver. The rule we, we, last time, last time we we met a rule, the CAA ruled that they couldn't play in the postseason. We're currently 0 for 1 with people looking the other way on rules. Do you think they should get the waiver? No. Well, yeah, I do. As a fan, if I'm a fan of another team, no. If I'm a fan of JMU, which I am, yes. So, like, they're ahead of schedule and, like, they're clearly ready to be fully, right? I mean, they, they went 8 and 3 in football. They've been winning a bunch of other things. Field hockey just joined the MAC for 2024. So, they're making sure their sports that weren't included are in there. Lacrosse is contending for a national title. Their facilities are great. The budget's great. They have all the support staff. They have all this stuff. But at the same time, like from the NCAA's perspective, cool, cool, good job. Like you're, we, we you're didn't, we go. didn't. The NCAA did not make them do this transition in a year. Right. It's like good for you. You did it. Like thumbs up. We love <laughs> you. <laughs> but the only real thing, because all the other sports are already competing in postseasons. It's just football doesn't play in a bowl and they wouldn't play in a Sunbelt title game, which isn't even a guarantee that they would qualify again this year. Yeah. So you really might only miss out on one game. So if they don't get the waiver, it's not like life alteringly bad. It's a little disappointing because it'd be really cool if they go to a bowl game. But at the same time, it's like, I don't know. There are some fans who are like, this dance is screwing us. It's like, no, I mean, like the rules in place, they knew this is what was happening. They made a strong case to maybe get it in one year. Good for them. 
But like, if it does go against JMU, it doesn't feel like they're getting screwed. It feels like they're just upholding the rule. That it was kind of just confusing how it was delivered to fans. And it seems like the the athletic department has always known that it is a very strong chance they weren't getting it. It's just been portrayed that it was a done deal that they had it. If they get it, sick. Like it'll be awesome, man. I'll be talking about some belt title stuff and playing in a bowl game. You can win the first bowl game in Jamie history. Playing the first bowl game in Jamie history would be massive for recruiting and all these things. But it's also like you know, I'm not sure that they like. I don't know. Other teams have had the transition too. Can I say a conspiracy theory? Yeah. On this waiver, I think they. I think they know that it is more likely than not they're not going to get it. And that's why they're floating the... Well, but but they've been... Well, no, that's why they're floating these random-ass graphics that make no sense to no one. But no, no, no. <laughs> I think I think they're coming out being like, well, this is unprecedented. Like, Kevin Warner had that interview with Dave That's Rigger. what was throwing me off. Yeah, Like, this is unprecedented. It is not, like, a for-sure thing. I know people think it's a for-sure thing because the local media has been telling us it's a sure thing, but that's another point. What are they being um, getting that from the... Well, yeah, and yeah, that's the other thing. Like, I, I think... I think Kevin Warner and Jeff Bourne and whoever is talking to Metlin and Noah and everyone um, is telling them these things that like, we're very confident that we're going to get it, blah, 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 blah. My conspiracy theory is JMU is saying that. So it doesn't impact recruiting as badly as it could. I was going to say conspiracy theory. They're going to try to stall if they don't get it. And like, not even, it sounds like it'll come out before then have it like not come out until after the portal window closes on Sunday. Yeah. And then, like Monday morning, yeah. I mean, that oh, leads into the, the that leads into the conspiracy theory about helping recruiting. Like, I, I think they're doing this so that I think they know the 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 deck is stacked against them, but they don't want it to impact football recruiting because, like, we've seen the transition rule, not necessarily like the transition of going from FCS to FBS impact a team, but like the impact it makes on your recruiting. Like, players don't want to go to somewhere they can't compete in a postseason for three years. And so maybe that's why Uku left. Like there could be a very real thing that Signetti behind the scenes said, like, we're not going to a bowl game this year. Like if you want to go and compete in a postseason, leave. It's honestly, man, I'm interested to see what happens because the timing of it was uh, was interesting. I'll say that. But it's it's just like, I don't know. Nobody ever made it clear. There was a lot of rumors in the fall that like, oh. They'll get the waiver. It's just a matter of if they can play in a bowl game immediately this year, the Cotton Bowl, perhaps um, at eight and three. Was that a real seat, real story? It was like a column, but it was okay about getting asking for a waiver to play in the Cotton Bowl if they went undefeated after they were five and zero. Oh, and the secondary was like, "Hold up, <laughs> hold my beer. Let's play." George watch Sutton. him, watch him cook. Let him cross this space. <laughs> things went went wild after that. I don't know. It'd be cool if they got it. That's what I'll say. And then I don't know. The other thing I keep going back and forth, looking at some of the games last year, I feel like there's a lot of this, uh, this thought process from like Jamie fans that Jamie was like, had the greatest season ever. They kind of, I mean, they went eight and three. They were like, they're good. They could have went one, but there's some Jamie fans are like, we get it. We win the East. We're in the bowl. We're prime for, you know, that next season. It's also Troy was really good. Like Troy was very good. We, we probably don't win that game. Right? I don't know. It's just uh, people got to chill a little bit with some of this stuff. That's yeah. all. It was, it was, I was just looking back at some of the stuff from last year, and it was like, they, 
they kind of had a few moments where they really didn't execute. They had a whole quarter against Georgia State where they almost handed them a victory because they couldn't feel the kickoff. And now we're like, do we think we beat Bam in the playoff? Dude, we lost to Georgia Southern. We nearly lost to App State. But it would be cool if we got the waiver. Got it would be point. awesome. What are the odds? Give it to me. Percentage, we get the waiver. It's, I think it's 50-50 too because it's, it's really confusing. Some of us are yeah. really confused because <laughs> we in October – it was like, hey, 95%. That was a tweet that was out there, 95%. And then Kevin Warner talks to Dave Rigger, and he's like, you know, we feel positioned, but we don't know. And, yeah, now they're tweeting about how they had the most transition wins with a lot of, like, caveats. A lot of qualifiers. <laughs> That's a weird tweet. Where'd that come from in mid-April, late April? And the same day that the NCAA board meeting finished, like, right at the same – Right, like, right at three. Like <laughs> – very interesting timing. Uh, so we'll see. So to sum up football, Jordan McLeod is our starter, and there's a strong chance we're not playing in a bowl game or the Sun Belt title game. Sorry to be the uh, the bearer of bad news, but. <sighs> that really came together since the last podcast where there was just a lot of stuff out there where it was like, ow. The athletic department going in front of the media and saying, maybe not, was I thought that was weird. Yes. So, <laughs> all of that great stuff. Quickly hit on some spring sports that are happening. Diamond Dukes update. They swept Louisiana at home after the Raging Cajuns beat number one LSU. Beat them 10 to 8, 13 to 2, which might be the best performance of the season by the pitching staff. And then one on Sunday, 9 to 4 to complete the sweep. Then they backed all of that up with a massive seventh inning lead over Virginia Tech, which they blew to lose seven to five. Um, Bennett, what are your feelings about JME baseball right now? Yeah, there's something, man. They uh, they almost beat Virginia Tech to follow it up, right? They're they're playing really well. They're up five three in the eighth. It's five three in the eighth. Bases are loaded. I think it was one out at this at this time. They switched pitchers, and they here's here's what they did. They went balk, balk, balk. They, they went balk, walk, 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 single strikeout, and they went from up five to three to down seven to five, and they lost the game. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know with them. It's like great, great job against Louisiana. Then they followed up with some tough stuff. I don't know. Like, I don't think it changes my feeling on the program very much. Like at a, at a certain point, like Marlon Eikenberry is going to need to make an NCAA tournament for me to care about the baseball team. You know what's hilarious? They're on schedule to be 500 again. Yeah, it's it's like classic. It's what they do. <laughs> So they'll be like three games over and they haven't even been that bad this year. It's just, there's some of it is like they're 23 and 17. And then you look at the scores and it's like, Oh, did they, you know, did they almost clip Southern Miss? It's like, Oh no, they lost 15 to two in seven innings. They got run ruled. <laughs> right. That's a, like, that's the, yes. that's, that's the opponent. That's the program you're going to have to beat. If you want to be a Sunbelt baseball competitor and they run ruled you run ruled you 
on Sunday. They had already won the series. That Sunday game, yeah, they want to win it, but like it's not it's not the big like you know what I mean? Like it's not the biggest game of the weekend for them and they beat you whatever. Whatever. It's just tough. I went back and I looked at Jeff Bourne's comments <laughs> for when he Ooh. announced when J bless you, when Jamie announced the uh two-year extension that he got before this season. I can marry that was. And Bourne's comments were like it was really hard to evaluate him during the covid times and with injuries the last couple of years like it was hard to evaluate this team okay well there's no covid this year so i, I don't know what Bourne's expectations are is it like hey have a winning record and then you got to make the ncaa tournament next year was it you got to make it this year but i gave you a two-year deal for fun like <laughs> i don't know what it is but um my expectations are that they can compete to make the NCAA tournament and their RPI is like outside the top 100. Which is unacceptable. That is, that is unacceptable. I don't, yeah, I don't think that can happen. And then you also look in like that. Yeah. They swept Louisiana to, to get back into making the conference tournament. Like I think only the top 10 teams of the 14 go or something. And if they don't finish strong, they're not going to be in that, group if they do finish strong they could finish like third in the conference so like if they do that and show that they can stack wins together which they haven't done at any point during his tenure then yeah keep him around like it's the thing it's the same lewis Rowe thing they would like dangle the carrot in front of your face and be like matt lewis just dropped 40 on hofstra pretty so, cool huh and then they come home and lose to elon so jmu warnolan.com this is where i get on my rpi information it's a fantastic website if you're into college baseball they're 23 and 17 overall. They're four and six in their last 10. They have a 127 RPI. They're one in, they don't have a winning record against quadrants one, two, or three. They are one and six against quad one, three and four against quad two, four and five against quad three. And where they have gotten all but eight of their wins are in quad four, where they are 15 and two. That's unacceptable. Right. That's unacceptable that you have a losing record in quads one, two, and three. Yeah, I mean, pretty much all they've done is beat up on some crappy teams this year and then, like, sort of hold their own against, you know, the better teams. But it's just too many losses that are, are bad. Like, Maryland's not that great this year, and they scored 12 runs at Maryland and lost by seven because they gave up 19. Like, the pitching's inconsistent. The hitting goes for the occasional lull. They're just... They're not like a well-rounded baseball team and they haven't been at any point during his tenure. So it's like, how long do you want to see them not be well-rounded before you can truly analyze that? And they, they have the 285th strongest schedule in non-conference. See, that's yucky. They have the 162nd toughest schedule and that's playing in a Sun Belt. Mm-hmm. That has Southern Miss, ODU. Um, I believe they have one other team ranked Coastal. <laughs> like, yeah, insane man. What do you think? Do you think he gets the second year of the two year deal? I do. I don't think he. Well, I think they do unless they have an epic meltdown to finish the season. Like, I think Bourne would have fired him last year if, like, I think when they signed that two year extension, it was for two years. Now. If they go down the stretch and they go like two and fifteen, or some like astronomically bad record where they finish 
10 games under 500, seven games, even seven games under 500, maybe. But they continue this kind of four and six over the last 10 type of cadence. I think he's going to keep it and we'll have another year of him. Do you like that at all? No. The, the, no. You don't like that? I, I, I want, like, it's the same thing with Roe. Like, if he leaves, you may have, like, if you fire Eikenberry, I think you'll have a pretty aggressive roster changeover, kind of like what we saw when Roe left. Um, every big guy left except for Matt Lewis, um, who, honestly, we were all kind of shocked he stayed. But I'm willing to take that one terrible year for then the hope that comes afterwards. If Eikenberry stays, we're going to have another mediocre year followed by more mediocre years. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't hate occasionally that Bourne's like, I guess, errors on the side of like trusting people from like a human perspective. But it's one, like I feel like with basketball, they really dug themselves in a hole with the Lewis Rowe era where like they're still kind of digging their way out in terms of like becoming respectable and then getting to an NCAA tournament and like re-engaging the fan base. Man, like the Valley, we've talked about this so much. The Valley loves baseball. They love diamond I mean, sports. There's- there's no baseball support. Yeah. They haven't. When did Eikenberry take over? I got 16? Uh, I think it was 16. Let's see. It was. Yeah, 2016. So, I mean, you've lost. You're on year seven of Eikenberry. He's a 500 coach. Okay, throw out COVID. I guess throw out 2021 because injuries. Yeah, I know. Injuries don't really happen in sports like at all. So you really can't use that to figure out if a coach is good or not. Um, Because, yeah, it's not on him to recruit his backups. It's not on him to recruit depth. You're right. So let's not use 2021 because injuries happened. Um, He's still a 500 coach. Great guy. I've heard only amazing things about him. That's awesome. Same with Rowe. Maybe I'm being too rude. Maybe I'm being too mean. No, I kind of, I kind of feel it. It's just like I don't know, because it's it's the row one was so obvious that it was going to happen, and this one kind of feels similar, where it's like they're not really doing anything to make you think it's going to change. Like, how much do you need to see to be like, hey, let's make this program? But I could understand him not wanting to pay whatever he has to pay to not have a coach in in next season right so I, I think he'll probably get the second year too especially after getting renewed last year it is worth noting that Eichenberry has one of the cheapest annual salaries in the nation he's not gonna pay much yeah like I think he's probably the cheapest head coach in the Sun Belt. it's like barely six figures right yeah so I don't know it's but it's frustrating from a fan standpoint because they actually they brought me in I was shocked they brought me in after the sweep I was paying attention last night to the Virginia Tech score and they were up five to three in the eighth. And I was like, okay, like maybe they're maybe they're making a push. And then they walk like five guys in a row. It's like, oh, no, they're they're not making a push. After was that was that all the same pitcher, too? I think so. I think they, like, well, they took out they took out a guy who had just thrown like six scoreless and was dealing. And then the, the next pitcher, once he got into the jam, walked a lot of guys. So that's like that's at a point, like the second he walks the second guy to tie it. You, you got to go back to the bullpen. Like you have, like you got to have a quick pull there. It's just it's tough to see him 
Because it was a year where they could have kind of stacked a lot of wins, right? You mentioned how bad the non-conference schedule was. Um, and and not only that, they they had a bad Sun Belt. Like, I don't think they're they, – seems like they have a pretty winnable Sun Belt schedule. Could have benefited – you mentioned this earlier um, on Twitter. It could have mentioned from – benefited from – Arkansas um, State. Two of the Arkansas State games happening that got rained out or whatever. But that's not like season-altering. certainly would have helped, but it's not um, – I don't know. Yeah. And just disappointing. across the way, uh, softball, they lost the series to Marshall, picking up a Saturday win, but losing on Friday, 10 to 2 in six innings, and losing on Sunday, 8 to 4. This weekend, they play host to App State. Um, they are currently 24 and 16 on the season, 9 and 9 in conference play. I think they'll be better next year, sort of my expectation. App State, I think, sucks. So they should get at least two this weekend. Um, getting one against Marshall honestly wasn't bad. Marshall just beat Virginia Tech in a midweek, uh, ranked Virginia Tech. They got a good team this year, so they're not they're not bad. I mean, I'd like to see them get back to like making NCAA tournaments, which could happen next year. So they're making some progress, but yeah, it's kind of a disappointing spring for the Diamond Sports, which is sort of I guess lifted up by lacrosse being insane. Yeah, lacrosse fifteen and one, five and zero in conference play. Uh, since the last time I think we've actually had a recording of the podcast, they've beaten Cincinnati 17 to 8, beat Rutgers 14 to 7, and April 29th, this Saturday, they will be playing their season finale, their regular season finale um, in Greenville, North Carolina against ECU. Then that will lead into the American Athletic Conference Conference, the American Athletic Conference Championship. Uh, and then from there, They'll go into the NCAA tournament. As of right now, how it's looking, they won't be a host until the Final Four. I think you have to be a top four seed to host until the Final Four. Hopefully they get the, one of those seeds. It could be tough because they might not have enough right chances to take down big-time teams, I guess. And through well, the they, next. It was kind of insane. They were number four in the country, and then this last week in the polls, they dropped a spot despite winning i think it was someone else up had an upset or something and they slid around but i mean they look so good they look very good they're they're national title contenders they are legit um and they are bringing hope to the entire spring for jmu sports and last but certainly not least quickly around the sports world uh we talked about a little bit at the top uh base i mean golf why why did i say baseball Women's golf broke my heart. Finished, I think, eighth in the Sun Belt Championship. Yeah, you were, were hyping them up big time. They're a favorite. That was a disappointing showing, but still a great year. Men's golf just finished. I think they were like tied ninth or something or tied eighth. Um, so they're not going to win, but they they put up a fight. I don't think maybe the women do this too, but for the men at least, I was seeing, and it's irrelevant because Jamie didn't qualify. They do the top four get out of the three rounds of stroke play. And then they have them all play match play against each other, which is sick um, to determine a champion. So that's a very intense way to determine a golf champion, which I love. And uh, women's tennis, I think plays tomorrow, which is Thursday. So maybe listen to it. Thursday could be today for you. Starts their Sunbelt championship. They're the two seed nine and one in league play. So they have a legitimate chance. Knock on wood here. I jinx the women's golf team pretty strongly, but I think they'll, <laughs> they'll be in the mix. To, um, to win the conference tournament there, which will be uh, interesting for sure. 
Yeah. And to keep up to date with all portal happenings, everything like that, head on over to jamiesportsnews.com. Bennett has his portal tracker for for men's and women's basketball and football, and he is updating that whenever big news breaks. So check that out at jamiesportsnews.com. While you're there, you can also uh, subscribe to the newsletter. That's how this whole thing started. So go on over there, subscribe to the newsletter. We received some very kind words today from some loyal readers, and that, that... even though you're the one that does all the work for the newsletter, uh, that, that did touch my heart as well. Oh, it's fun to see people consuming this content, folks. So, for Bennett Conlin, I'm Jack Fitzpatrick. You guys have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.